This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. The Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit Freedom House was founded in 1941 to conduct research on democracy, political freedom, and human rights trends in countries around the world. And since 1973, it's been producing an annual Freedom in the World survey that compiles that information. For the first 32 years, that survey indicated an overall trend toward democracy and freedom. But then something began to change around 2005, and for the past 17 years, the trend line has reversed toward authoritarianism. Well, Freedom House just released its 2023 survey, and it opens with the global struggle for democracy approached a possible turning point in 2022, noting that the number of countries suffering declines in 2022 was the lowest it's been in 17 years and was nearly matched by the number of countries experiencing improvements. We explore these trends with my guest today, Michael Abramowitz. He's president of Freedom House. He's also the former director of the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum's Levine Institute for Holocaust Education and a former national editor and White House correspondent for the Washington Post. Mr. Abramowitz was in southwest Florida last week to give a talk for the Holocaust Museum and Cohen Education Center in Naples, so we brought him by the studio to chat. Let's hear that now. Mr. Abramowitz, welcome to Gulf Coast Life. Great to be here. So you're in town to give the keynote at the Holocaust Museum and Cohen Education Center's fundraiser tonight. What is the focus of your talk? The subject of my talk is going to be the fragility of democracy. And the reason I picked that is because I'm speaking at a Holocaust institution, and I worked for eight years at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington. And I think one of my major takeaways from working at the Holocaust Museum, and in a way why it was a natural for me to move to a group, Freedom House, that is focused on democracy, is that democracy is a very fragile thing. And I think that when I was at the Holocaust Museum and working uh, on exhibitions there and other things, you know, people often focus on the death camps. Uh, you know, when you come to the museum, if you've been to the museum, the shoes, you know. But, but the, the part that kind of interested me was how the Nazis took over a country that had been really at the time one of the few democracies in the world, pretty advanced, had a very vibrant business community, scientific community, a number of Nobel Prize winners, great thinkers, writers, and so forth. And within a number of years, they had subverted democracy and had basically become a, a state capable of genocide. So to me, that said, if democracy can be eroded there, it can be eroded anywhere. And it's kind of a cautionary tale for us. So that really is the theme of my talk. So when you booked that speaking event that's happening tonight, um, had the 2023 Freedom of the World Report data become available to you yet? In other words, and we'll get to what the report contains and sort of the pivot it seems to maybe indicate. Were you aware of that when you began thinking about this talk, or is this new and you're, you're, you're having to deal with new information, if you will? I was not aware of the specific data that we were going to report or that we did report last week as part of Freedom in the World, which is our signature report about the state of freedom in the world. And we can talk about that if you'd like. But, you know, we, I'm very aware of the general trends over the past 15 to 20 years, which has been pretty negative for democracy. I mean, what you've seen around the world is essentially strengthening of authoritarian countries. So think about China and Russia, but also backsliding and well-established democracies. So countries like uh, India, 
Poland, and also, to some extent, the United States as well. So the general trends I was aware of, the specific details of the 2023 report, no. So the executive summary of that report opens with the global struggle for democracy approached a possible turning point in 2022. And for starters, that's because there were countries with declines over the past 17 years, many countries with declines over the past 17 years. Um, I read the report from 2022, the the previous year, and it, if I could say, was pretty dire. So can you just reflect on what that idea of a possible turning point represents and and is there any way to know if it's an outlier or beginning of something? Sure. So let me let me kind of give you just a word, if I could, about this report, because I think yeah, it's yeah. important for your listeners to know. So we've been doing this report for 50 years. Actually, the, the report that just came out last week was the 50th edition in a time series of basically annual surveys on the state of political rights and civil liberties in every country in the world. So we basically do an assessment of every country in the world, including the United States, on how well uh, people in that country enjoy different political rights and civil liberties, uh, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, transparency, rule of law, uh, many of the things that we have customarily come to associate with a strong uh, representative democracy. And we group then countries uh, in three broad categories, uh, free, partly free, and not free. And I would say that over the 50 years, Here is a basic broad story. Uh, The first, when this report started in 1973, uh, it was kind of a bad time for democracy. And uh, essentially, democracy was largely confined to Western Europe, parts of the Americas, but you had large swaths of the world that were operating in autocracy. Obviously, uh, the Soviet bloc principally, but there were military dictatorships around the world. China was a very closed uh, communist uh, society. And over the next 30 years, uh, really between roughly 1973 and 2005, 2006, you saw a great wave of democratization, which was punctuated by the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, but saw you know, military dictators in Taiwan and South Korea become democratic, you know, countries like Spain and Portugal become democratic. South Africa became democratic. It was really what the political scientist Samuel Huntington called the third democratic wave. And that basically came to a halt around 2005, 2006. And what you've seen since then for the past 17 years is what we have called or what actually uh, the political scientist Larry Diamond has termed a democratic recession. As you're right, that last year was particularly bad, 2020 not this past year, but the year before, was particularly bad. We saw 60 countries in all record declines in rights, and only 25 uh, have decreases. So the reason we had a little bit of optimism this year, the report has been pretty grim for 16 years. So last year was, was not an outlier. Democracy is under a great deal of pressure, a great deal of attack from around the world. But we saw some glimmers of hope in 2022. And I wrote about this in an op-ed I did for the Washington Post last week. And essentially, uh, you saw, for instance, uh, in Ukraine, although the country itself experienced a decline in scores because of the Russian invasion, you saw unexpectedly strong resistance to the Russian invasion, uh, which I think is a hopeful sign for democracy. You saw elections being held really relatively reasonably without hitch in the United States, in Brazil. 
You saw countries that had imposed restrictions on their populace as a result of COVID lift those restrictions. So it's a, it's a lot of different things, but really for the first time in 17 years, you had rough parity between the countries that were declining and increasing. And the other thing I would also say about what gives me hope is that you see in countries, and a great example would be what's happening in Iran with the women-led revolution. You see countries that are where people are going to the streets and demanding their rights and freedoms, and they're not accepting authoritarianism, dictatorship. I mean, even in China, there were COVID protests. So that's the kind of thing that also gives me hope. It doesn't mean that the authoritarian powers don't have a certain staying power, which we can talk about, but it does kind of give me hope for the future that we may have bottomed out. We'll know for sure in the next couple of years. I don't want to be Pollyannish about it, but I, I do feel hopeful in general about the future. So that, that number 17 kept coming up when I was reading through this, and I was trying to assess what happened 17 years ago, and I was kind of Googling, and the Iraq War was a couple years old. We were a few, few years out from a big economic collapse. Like, what were the factors around then through now that have contributed to that decline? It's hard to pinpoint one factor. And in fact, there are probably a thousand books that have tried to do this. But let me give you three or four factors that I think about. I do think, by the way, you mentioned the Iraq War. And I think the Iraq War, I mean, we can litigate whether it was a wise idea or not. But I think the, the impact of that around the world has been to kind of create more skepticism about the whole exercise of democracy building. Even though the war itself was not really waged in the name of democracy building, I think that made the United States more cautious about espousing democracy, I think, overseas. I think the United States is an important factor in support for democracy. So I think the Iraq War played a, played a role. I think another factor that's really important is economics. If you recall, a few years after 2006, we had the economic dislocation, the financial meltdown uh, that happened around the world, really hit the middle class very hard in many different countries, and I think kind of created an opening for populists to come into power. And by the way, populists are not necessarily a bad thing, but what we've seen in, in a number of cases is populists coming into power and restricting rights as a means to hold on to power. I think it's not surprising that, I think there was a long tail impact of, of, what ha of the financial. And so it's, it's, to me, it's not surprising that both Brexit and the election of Donald Trump happened in one year. Uh, happened in the same year, 2016. So I think economics plays some role in it, and kind of the failure, if you, if it will, of democratic states to really deliver, you know, strong economics performance for a broad swath of the middle-income population. The third factor I would just say, and there are probably other more, but I, but I, I think about. I'm a former journalist. So I worked for many years at the Washington Post before I went to the Holocaust Museum and then to Freedom House, and uh, I do think that the media environment is so different today than 20 years ago. So if you look at our scores, like what is one of the major factors in driving democratic decline? It's the weakening of the free press. It's a weakening of protections against free expression. That has been a major factor. And you also have you know, the rise of these major social media firms which has been kind of a mixed blessing. I mean, in some ways, it's made information widely available to many people and provided the entrance kind of into the marketplace of journalism, you know, many new voices that maybe wouldn't have had voice 30 or 40 years ago. On the other hand, it's also made it much more possible 
for illiberal forces, for authoritarian countries to kind of weaponize the internet against democracy. So you think about the way Russia tried to interfere in our election in 2016 and to some extent in other years. You think about China, you know, which is uh, trying to exercise influence on the media all over the world. I mean, you expect them to do it, but I think the internet has, has made it much more possible for kind of authoritarian-minded forces or, or dictators themselves to, to stay in power and to tamper with democracy around the world. I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guest. Mike Abramowitz is president of Freedom House. It's a Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit that conducts research and advocacy on democracy, political freedom, and human rights. He's in Southwest Florida to give the keynote address at tonight's fundraiser for the Holocaust Museum and Cohen Education Center, so we brought him by the studio to chat. If you'd like to engage with the show about today's topic or any of our episodes, please do so using WGCU social media. We're on Facebook and we're on Twitter. So U.S. scored 83 out of 100 in the 2023 report, same as it was the last year. Um, What has the overall trend been for the U.S. over the course of the last, well, 17 years maybe we could say? Right. The U.S. has been on a slow decline for the last 10 to 12 years. Let me just first say a word about this. I think one of the things I'm very proud about at Freedom House is that we actually look at U.S. democracy. We don't just look at what's happening in Russia or Turkey or Venezuela or Myanmar or South Africa. We also look at what's happening in our own country. And we try, we, we seek to assess political rights and civil liberties in our own country the way we would just say we assess it in any other country. And we have indicators that we publish on our website, freedomhouse.org, that people can go look at. I think it's very interesting. And... I think the point that I would say in general is that the U.S. remains a very free and vibrant democracy. There's really a lot of great things about our democracy, especially looking at from a kind of a global perspective. And I always think, to me, one of the great blessings of our society is having a really free press. I I, I really do believe that there are very few legal restrictions on the media here in, in our country. The, you know, journalists, you know, by and large, can practice their craft safely, unlike places like Turkey where they're thrown in jail or Mexico where they're murdered or Russia where they're murdered. So, I, you know, I think there's a lot that's good about U.S. democracy. But there's no question that it is weakened over the last 10 to 12 years, especially relative to some of the countries that, to which it's often compared, countries in Western Europe, Germany, France, U.K., for instance. And I think the important point that I would say is that Democracy is about more than having a free election. It's about having strong institutions, about having strong rule of law. It's about having equal access to justice. And so I think that among the issues that we've been concerned about in general, and I'm speaking in a very high-level plane over the last uh, number of years, has been the kind of excessive influence of special interests in politics, you know, continuing problems with uh, equal treatment under the law. Political polarization has been a a really big issue. And honestly, all of that kind of culminated in the January 6th attack on the Capitol, uh, which was, uh, (laughs) you know, whether you call it insurrection, which I think it was, or whether you call it a riot, it was an outrageous effort to intimidate uh, the folks that were responsible for, you know, certifying the election. And that's something that deeply concerned us at Freedom House. And by the way, we had a lot of comments from our friends around the world. Uh, we, you know, one of the things that Freedom House does is we work on the ground with human rights activists, with journalists, with other people fighting for freedom in authoritarian settings. And we heard from them, like, what's happening in your own country? Because 
well, we kind of take this for granted. I, I do think that people do look to the United States as kind of a uh, a role model. Even though we've lived up to that role model status kind of imperfectly over the years, I still very much believe in, in what Madeleine Albright once called American exceptionalism. People do pay attention to what's happening in the United States. And that was a sad moment for the United States when there was that uh, attack on the Capitol. Um, I watched the presentation that when you guys gave out the results of the 2023 report on YouTube, and one of the speakers said, not since Reconstruction have we had a system where so much can change after each election. Um, we're in rocky times. We're in polarized times. We're also in, if I can put it in a plain worry way, um, we're in weird economic times. And we, you started with the fear of the rise of authoritarianism in democracies, and I know that's often linked to economic bad times. Um, are you at all concerned that we could have some sort of an economic event that could tip that needle the other direction here in the United States? Well, in general, I think you're absolutely right. I think that kind of bad economic times is a kind of almost a precondition, if you will, for you know some of these concerns. Because at the end of the day, government's responsibility is to provide prosperity peace and, 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 and you know, for, for, for people. And, and if, if that doesn't happen, I think it, it opens the doors. So we're deeply concerned about that. I would also just say, though, that if you look around the world, you know, it's not just economics that's driving this. You know, there are some countries, uh, and I would say Poland might be an example, which has suffered some democratic decline in our scores over the last 10 years. And you know, Poland has done pretty well economically since the uh, since the collapse of the Soviet Empire and the and the collapse of the Berlin Wall, and but there is sort of a, a backlash, if you will, in parts of Poland to you know a cultural backlash uh, to some of the, for want of a better word, modernity in a way, and so I think you know it's not just economics that's driving this. Uh, I think it's also social and cultural factors. And you see that like in our own country, like in uh, Western Pennsylvania or other places have been hard hit economically, but also culturally as well, where there's a kind of a increasing distance between the coasts and and what's happening inside our country. Yeah, I think that that is the, the crux of the polarization right now. I started saying on this show about two or three years ago that it felt like we miraculously had wound up with no Venn diagram in some ways between the two poles. Like there's just two circles next to each other. And that's why I am concerned about the economy because it seems like we're in just this really fractured state right now. And, um, and I, I hope that we get through it. Well, look, as we talk today, there's all this concern about the safety of banks. You know, that's something that you know, has not been associated with good things in our history. And obviously, you know, it was there are bank runs that were part of the early days of the Great Depression, which I think really is a period in our history where there was – where democracy was most threatened in our country. We got to have some sense of – well, I think also well, <laughs> civil war and what happened in the South. But I do think that – the 1930s, uh, going back to my speech tonight at the Holocaust, I mean, that was a period of really intense dislocation, not just in the United States, but all over the world. And that kind of lay the, the seeds for uh, fascism. 
Um, we've only got a couple minutes left, but I wanted to ask you, you used to be a reporter, editor, uh, you know, Washington Post. You were, were you White House bureau chief or Washington bureau chief or something? No, no, I was, I was, uh, I was, a, I was one of the White House correspondents. One of the White House years. correspondents. Yeah. Do you miss those times at all? You, you said earlier how much the media landscape has changed. I'm wondering, you know, like what, what, do, what do you miss and what don't you miss, I guess? Well, I absolutely loved being a reporter. It's a, it's a great job. I really enjoyed it. I did it for 25 years. I love the job now. So I like, you know, running Freedom House a lot. It's a great mission. You know, our mission is the protection of democracy, uh, and we do it in many different ways. I, with journalism today, I think I enjoyed very much <laughs> interaction with people. I mean, it's really an unbelievable gift the journalists are given to be able to have like direct access to decision makers, to people, uh, to really try to figure out. It's a, it's a fishing license for learning. And it, it was really, it's, it was a wonderful experience. I love the Washington Post. I would never, I don't regret any of it. I do think that, I do think the thing that I would say is that it strikes me of many friends who are still journalists, still at these places, and they do a wonderful job. I think it's probably in some ways not as happy a lifestyle. First of all, the internet has made things 24-7, right? So I felt when I was the White House correspondent for the Post, and this is like in the mid-2000s, that I would have time. I mean, there's competitive pressures, but I would have time to sort of write a story and, you know, that wasn't just the day's events. Uh, that's harder now. I just think, you know, with Twitter and with Facebook and all the other social media, there's a great deal of pressure on journalists to just produce without having the time. Because I think good journalism takes some time to produce, right? If you want to do a real investigative piece or a real piece of accountability journalism or just a good feature, it can take a while to put that together. And so I think I, I feel for, for my friends in the, in the fourth estate about that. The other thing is I think journalists are really much more in the fishbowl than they were 25 or 30 years ago. Let me give you like one example. When I was a White House correspondent, for the Washington Post, I knew if I wrote a piece that, I mean, it's impossible to write a piece that everyone's going to like. I mean, that's the nature of journalism. You, you know, you're going to piss someone off, <laughs> you know, part of the time, and that's your job. But you would get some nasty comments, and people would criticize you in their blogs or something. But now, you know, journalists are the subject of like really vituperation on social media, which I think, I think it's a form of effort to kind of intimidate and control and repress. And so I really feel you have to have a really thick skin to be a journalist today. I really admire my colleagues who are still in the game because I mean, I think, by the way, of Jamal Khashoggi, who was a writer for the, you know, for the Washington Post. He was murdered by the, by the Saudi government in a, in a Turkish consulate. By the way, that's one of the big issues that we have focused on at Freedom House, which is something we call transnational repression. We've done a lot of reports on this. You can go to our website to find it about the efforts of authoritarian countries to kind of intimidate people beyond their borders. But I was always struck by an article in the New York Times about Khashoggi in which he was basically, it was very hard for him to wake up every day because he was a subject of vicious attacks uh, that were really kind of basically sponsored by the Saudi authorities, but others. And, and so you have to really have a thick skin to be a journalist today. Well, unfortunately, that is all the time we have. I'd like to thank my guest, Mike Abramowitz, is president of Freedom House. Mike, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me today. It was really great to be with you, Mike. 
Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Callaghan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.